Hello and welcome to the Natural Choice Podcast. If you're looking for a place to learn more about some of the natural alternatives that you can make and decisions that you can make in your family and in your life, you're in the right place. So today, for the first time ever, we're actually Facebook living this event. So listeners, if you're listening, that is what we're doing right now. Um, so welcome Facebook Live viewers. And so my name is Kaylee Hendrickson, and today I'm sitting down with Stephanie Hamilton, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, Stephanie Hamilton. And she is a Creighton model practitioner intern. So she'll be talking to us about natural family planning. So hello and welcome, Stephanie. Thank you so much for having me, Kaylee. Yeah, it's so nice to have you and learn more about natural family planning because I really don't know a lot about it. <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit about yourself and how long you've been teaching natural family planning? I am a chemistry education major from Huntington University. And I taught chemistry and biology for two and a half years until I had my daughter. And I've been married four years this June, June 7th. I just started my education phase one in October of 2017. And I began education phase two this April. Um, So I've actually been teaching about seven months and We are supervised through our first 18 clients and 13 months in the program. If we don't meet the um, 18 clients, then it's extended until we've taught 18 clients. Or if you get 18 clients early, it's extended through the 13 months. So I have a supervisor who is um, helping me through everything that I'm doing and making sure that I am well educated in the program so that I can provide the best possible services possible. Yeah, and how are you enjoying that so far? Oh, very much. I've met some wonderful people and am just so blessed to have this opportunity. Oh, good. So can you tell us a little bit about like what natural family planning is? Natural family planning is simply choosing days to have intercourse based on whether you are fertile or infertile. So there's different methods. Um, there's calendar methods or body signs, which is what I was trying to say earlier. <laughs> gotcha. So I guess how long has this been around? Because obviously, I mean, um, birth control pills are, I mean, are relatively new in the last, what, like 50 years, century, 50 years. Um, and just some of these new, more modern methods that are very common and prevalent right now. But I mean, those weren't always around. So like what... I guess, where did natural family planning originate? Natural family planning has been well-researched. The first research of the woman's fertility was back in the 1600s. But um, as far as model specifics, uh, there's five different methods for determining fertility. The oldest one is calendar rhythm. Actually, has the newest research, even though it's the oldest method, and that's in the 1920s, Igeno and Noss, separately discovered the dates of ovulation, and in 1929, they developed the calendar method, which said you're fertile on days 11 through 17 of the cycle. Then in 1932, Dr. Latz used the six previous cycles to calculate fertility, so it was more individualized based on the particular woman. Then we have the basal body temperature method, which uses the woman's temperature upon waking and the temperature actually rises the day after ovulation. Hmm. Um, Research started in 1868 when Squire saw a change in the basal body temperature during the menstrual cycle. 
and it wasn't until 1929 when Van correlated that basal body temperature change with ovulation. So then in 1968, Dr. Marshall provided the first field testing trial using basal body temperatures. Our third method is cervical changes, which is called autopalpation. In 1962, Keefe was the first one who reported changes in the cervix based on ovulation. The symptothermal method, which uses both basal body temperatures and some of these symptoms such as cervical changes and what we'll talk about next, which is mucus, um, was developed in 1951 by Dr. Rotzer. In 1971, it was actually developed into a method called the Couple to Couple League by Mr. and Mrs. Cripley and Dr. Krim. Hmm. Our fourth <laughs> method is in 1847, so this is the one with the oldest research, Pochett observed mucus between days 10 and 17 of the cycle. But it wasn't until 1952 that Cohen determined that the sur survivability of the sperm changes with the mucus. So, so oh, the sperm can't survive more than a couple hours unless there's mucus there. So it's almost impossible to get pregnant without the mucus present. Yeah. Um, so he called that the biological valve. The mucus actually acts as a barrier during your infertile times and doesn't allow the sperm to go from the vagina up into the uterus. And then during your fertile times, it creates little channels. So the sperm can swim from the vagina into the uterus up into the fallopian tubes. And those channels actually work to, um, not weed out is the right word, but sort out the malformed sperm from the good healthy sperm. That's so interesting. Mm -hmm. So this has been around, I mean, for a really long time, really. Mm-hmm. And I have one last method, um, which is hormone monitors, and they were developed until the late 1990s by Marquette University. Wow. So the only time I've really ever heard um, about natural family planning was um, through some of my Catholic friends. I had never even heard about it in um, my church or had <laughs> ever even talked about it, like, amongst my friends. Or, mm -hmm. And... I even, I guess, was kind of frustrated when I went to my doctor to try before I got married. And I was like, okay, what are the different, I guess, methods? Like, what um, birth control options can I look at? Um, what would you suggest? And stuff like that. And she went through all of these different, um, I guess, pills and different methods that you could use, but literally never, ever mentioned natural family planning. And I've only ever heard about it in reference to the Catholic Church. So, are there religious like meanings behind it or um, religious purposes behind it? Yeah, um, actually all of Christianity opposed contraception until the 1930s. Wow. And the reason for that is they saw contraception as a barrier of giving your whole self to your spouse. When you use contraception, you're saying, I love all of you except your fertility. But when you use natural family planning, you're saying, I love all of you and accept and respect your fertility. So if we're trying to avoid pregnancy, then we'll just avoid those days when we're fertile. Yeah. Um, also, some churches, especially those who are big in sacraments, see it as a renewal of the marriage vows. So when you, this is the best analogy I've ever heard is, 
when you're using contraceptive, it's like sending an invitation to God saying, you are invited to this renewal of our marital vows. Mm. But when you're using contraceptive, you're saying, oh, sorry, God, I didn't mean to send that invitation. You're no longer invited. Mm. But when you're using natural family, planning, you're sending that invitation and God is sending an RSVP saying, thank you, but I'm not available to create life at this time. Interesting. Yeah, I've never heard it like that. Mm-hmm. I guess I'll summarize it pretty good. I have a quote um, from the Anglican Church. Would you like me to read it? Oh yeah, that'd be awesome. This is from the Lambeth Conference, which is when the first Protestant denomination to determine that using contraceptive was okay. It was morally acceptable. And this is what they said. Where there is a clearly felt a moral obligation to limit or avoid parenthood, the method must be decided on Christian principles. The primary and obvious method is complete abstinence from intercourse as far as may be necessary in a life of discipline and self-control lived in the power of the Holy Spirit. Nevertheless, in those cases where there is such a clearly felt, morally sound obligation to limit or avoid parenthood, and where there is a morally sound reason for avoiding complete abstinence, the conference agrees that other methods may be used, provided that this is done in the light of the same Christian principles. The conference records its strong condemnation of the use of any methods of contraceptive control from motives of selfishness, luxury, or mere convenience. Hmm. So right after that was stated, the Catholic Church expected Pope Paul VI, the Pope at the time, to say, oh, we agree with the Anglicans, let's accept those teachings for ourselves. Hmm. But instead, Pope Paul VI um, said that confining the conjugal acts to known infertile periods for the right reasons is morally acceptable, but using contraceptive is not. And in his encyclical Humana Vitae, he predicted that the widespread use of contraceptives would result in infidelity and moral decline. And this is back in the 1950s, remember? That's really interesting. <laughs> a loss of respect for women. He thought that contraceptive use would help women to become objects of pleasure rather than respected and beloved companions. He also predicted that widespread contraceptive use would result in the abuse of power, where governments would force population control on people. Oh, goodness. And unlimited dominion, where we as a society would refuse to accept our body's um, limitations and say, we have science, we're going to use it without any moral considerations, or to not even, for those couples with infertility, to not bear those crosses, um, but to push them away. That's really interesting that you talked about all those issues, because I mean, I mean, those are very prevalent issues today. Um, wow, I wouldn't have ever thought, I wouldn't have necessarily related them back to just that decision. And you said the 1930s, is that when it was? 1950s. 1950s, wow. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, because you look at China, I mean, I know they just listed their one child ban, but I mean, for a Mm -hmm. long time, I I don't know my history very well, so I'm not exactly (laughs) sure how many years that was. But I mean, it's crazy. And I think, um, I mean, this was 
I guess, two years ago in one of my college classes, we talked about um, just like even the, I guess, I guess what you call it fertility rate, but like the, mm. how many Pop- children were like per other, and we're below how many like people we have, we're making less kids for that. And it's this crazy that you would never even think that that's like, I don't know, that would be completely different back then in the 1950s to even think that that would be a thing that would even be happening in society. And it is. I just heard on the radio yesterday that we are at the lowest point since the 1970s. We're only producing 1.7 children per woman. Yeah. That's that is so not crazy. sustainable. No. <laughs> yeah, I watched this like kind of scary documentary on just like what happens when you're below like mm. the 2.0 ratio, I guess, <laughs> like to how many kids you're having if you're not creating as many people as there were, just like just the economical impacts that it has. And so, act- sorry. <laughs> oh, you're fine. I was just saying we actually need to be above 2.0 because not every woman is going to have children True. and not every child is going to survive to have children of their own. I didn't even think about that yet. So I don't remember the exact number, but I think it's closer to 2.3 is sustainability. You had a lot of wisdom back then. (laughs) So what are, um, I guess, how does this compare to our modern birth control methods? Just to give you a baseline, um, the pregnancy rate in one year of random acts of intercourse is 90%. So if you use the calendar rhythm method, that has an 88% actual use effectiveness rate. So users using that method, um, 22% of them will become pregnant in a year. And that is more effective than spermicides, which is 72%, and condoms, which is 85%. And then the Marquette method, which we'll talk about a little more later, I believe, is between 88 and 90% actual use effective. And that is a symptothermal method that also uses the um, hormone monitors. Okay. Then if you look at the other more modern methods, um, such as Creighton, which is 96.8% effective, it is more than effective than the birth control patches in actual user effectiveness. Um, Birth control patches are 91%, and the birth control pills are 92% actual use effective. Hmm, interesting. Mm -hmm. Now, all of these methods are method effectiveness of about 99% effective. So if you use it completely um, correctly, so you take your birth control pill at the same time every morning, um, then it's 99% effective. But for actual people in real life, those are the effectiveness rates. Yeah, that's so interesting. I know that was a big turnoff for me because when I w- was talking to my doctor, that she's like, you have to take it consistently at the same time every day. And I know that that's, I mean, a lot of my friends have gone away from like birth control pills because they're like, that is completely like impossible for me. Mm-hmm. I cannot do the same <laughs> thing every day at the same time. Literally so bad at taking them every single day. Yeah. Why do some people, so if they aren't using it for religious reasons, Um, What would be some of the other reasons that people might, I guess, shy away from uh, modern birth control methods? Mm -hmm. Like you said, with your friends, they don't want to take the pill every day. A lot of people are leery about putting these artificial hormones in their body, and for good reason. They have a lot of side effects, including increased weight gain, irritability, headaches, nausea, breast tenderness, and spotting are very common, Um, but also... 
the increased risk of heart attack, stroke, liver tumors, and blood clots. Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, a lot of people are concerned about the abortifacient effect. There's four ways that modern birth controls work, and one of them is as an abortifacient. So if you believe life begins at conception, then um, that life is not allowed to implant. So you would be aborting your baby without even realizing it. Now, um, the American, I can't get it right, but the College of Abst Obstetrics and Gynecology, the OBGYN College, there we go. <laughs> um, they uh, changed the start of life to implantation mm. so that it's not an abortifacient. But in reality, um, if you know, you believe that when there's a new set of DNA, it's a new person, then it is acting as an abortifacient. Wow, that's so crazy. And I never had heard about that. That was another frustration later on, like, it was probably about a month later that I had talked to your future sister-in-law. There we go. <laughs> My really good friend, she was telling me about this. I had no idea that wasn't something that like, I don't know, it was just some, something that was very acceptable. And like my friend mm -hmm. circles, I hadn't heard about like the fact that I could do that. And I, I, I believe that's morally wrong. You know, if mm -hmm. you, I believe that life starts um, when the sperm meets the egg and <laughs> I don't know. And so that was like really shocking to me. Mm -hmm. And I also had, so I was on a birth control pill for about two weeks and I hated it. I, I felt really weird. Mm -hmm. Like my, I felt like I, my hormones were weird. I felt like not emotionally normal, I guess. Um, I had like cramps for that those whole two weeks and mm. like just really wasn't feeling comfortable with the decision that I had made. And that's when um, like Hannah was talking to me about these natural family planning method. And that's just so crazy. I mean, and you don't know what's exactly in it. Does anybody actually really explain to you what's in your birth control <laughs> when you start taking it? I mean, I wasn't explained to before my doctor just wrote me out a prescription. I mean, it's, I don't know, it's kind of scary. Can I give you a study? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, this is an article in the New York Times, a very secular magazine, as you know. Um, it was published in December 6th of last year, 2017, and it was by Ronnie Karen Rabin, and it says, birth control pills still linked to breast cancer, the study finds. Mm. Although the amount of progestin used in modern birth control pills is drastically lower than in the 1980s, the increased risk for breast cancer is about the same. Hormonal birth control users overall experience a 20% increased likelihood for breast cancer compared to non-users. Wow. Now, this is a direct quote. Women who stayed on hormones for 10 or more years experienced a 38% increase in their relative risk of developing breast cancer compared to non-users. Wow. 38%. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Morsh said... Among those who used hormones for five years, an increased risk of breast cancer persists even after they discontinued use. Wow. And you never hear about that. And we're not educating people about it. That's really sad. I mean, but like, I don't know that I was never given that information when I was sitting down with my doctor. I don't no. know. That's, that's crazy. So 
I guess, what are some of the benefits? I mean, because we're talking about all these like <laughs> risks that come with maybe some of the modern, more modern methods. Um, what are some of the benefits with going with this natural way of planning out your family? Besides avoiding the side effects <laughs> of um, different contraceptives, um, Professor Janet Smith is really big into studying natural family planning users versus the general population and comparing them. She has a book called Contraceptives, Cracking the Myth, that mm. I stole some of these statistics from. 98% um, of natural family planning users are still married, where 0.2% were divorced or separated. Wow, and isn't like the natural national average around like 50% or something crazy? Mm -hmm. So 54% of the general population are still wow. married, while 16% are divorced or separated. And what I really love about this study is she separated out the Catholics. Because a lot of people say, well, that's because re they're religious and religious people seem to stay married longer. 68% of Catholics are married, so that's higher than the general population of 54%, but not as high as natural family planning of 98%. But 17% were divorced or separated. That's one percentage higher than the general population. Wow. Mm-hmm. So there's not too big of a difference. Is that what I'm hearing? Mm-hmm. Wow. Versus natural family planning, where there's a huge difference between divorce rates. Exactly. I always I tend to click on all those like random things where it's like, here's like your top percentage of people like to get less divorced, you know, oh, they live mm -hmm. in this state or they <laughs> eat this type of food or something crazy. But that would be so interesting to learn more about just like, yeah, you don't read about that either. You don't hear about that. <laughs> yeah. I have a story from for you. Oh, yes. Um, this was published in Family Foundations, the July, August 2010 version. And this is from Nick, who's 31 years old. He said the biggest surprise is what started to happen to our marriage after we started using natural family planning. They had been contracepting before. He said, I started to feel more in sync with Monica. By that, I mean we wanted to have sex around the same time. We also started to enjoy our sex life a lot more. Monica was more responsive and she was in the mood more often. I found that after using NFP, we were having sex more frequently. In fact, I read a research study that showed this is common for couples who use NFP. Hmm. I think that's part of the reason, as well as that natural respect for the woman, that 95% of husbands say they like using the Creighton model, which is where I get most of my studies from since <laughs> I'm a Creighton model practitioner. That makes sense. Um, and another benefit is that women are aware of their cycles. So they can detect problems in the earliest stages mm. um, rather than being like, hmm, maybe something's wrong, but maybe not. Yeah. I know that always helps me and my husband communicate when I explain, hey, I'm going to be on my period. <laughs> like, I'll be a little bit more emotional the next, like, week or so. <laughs> Give me a little bit more space, maybe a little bit more patience. <laughs> and just being more aware of your body. Yeah, that's just interesting. Being more aware of yourself and how to respond to others. And that helps your husband, your relationship, that communication aspect a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, part of what I do as a practitioner, if somebody struggles with PMS, which is actually treatable with NAPRO doctors. Hmm. Um, but if they struggle with PMS, we say, okay, here's your peak day. So this is when you ovulate about 
this many days after your peak date will be expecting these symptoms to come. So you as the woman are prepared and preparing for that, <laughs> um, trying to get into the mindset of loving people through your hormones. And we help the husbands by saying, this is what your wife's going through, expected around this time. So they can be like, okay, like, this is just my wife. It's not her fault that she's having these hormones. And even though the wife's trying to be more loving, it helps when the husband is more accepting and supportive it's during those times. <laughs> mm -hmm. I guess how have you, because you, you said that you work with other people. Have you seen, I guess, other people in their lives maybe benefit from some of these, like maybe either switching or just starting with natural family planning? Yeah, I have one client who I asked her if I could share her story. Um, she was having some unusual mucus. Um, so I referred her to the doctor and the doctor took a look and he found an aversion um, in her, which is where the cervical tissue goes outside the cervix into the vagina. So it causes mm. some irritation. Um, but she had no idea. She thought she was having regular cycles. And after charting, she says, you know, I don't know if this has been going on for years or if it just started happening because I never paid attention. Yeah. I guess I don't know very much about that. But I mean, you probably would go a really long time maybe without even knowing that you had that. Right. Because you don't look at your mucus. You Say, okay, I'm on my period, I'm off my period, and you don't pay attention until your next period comes if you're a normal woman. Yeah. So are there any, because um, we talked a lot about the risks that comes with more of the modern methods, are there any, I guess, safety issues that come with natural family planning? I thought really hard about this, and the only one I can think of is maybe introducing bacteria into the vagina if you're doing autopalpation. Um, which is the self-checking of the cervix, okay. um, which we don't do in the Creighton model. Um, but I haven't heard of it happening, so I don't think it's a very high risk, even for people who do use methods that do autopalpation. Um, besides that, I can't think of a single safety issue. Hmm. I mean, that is compared to the other ones where, you know, what, 38% more likely to get breast cancer. <laughs> like, Right, you're not putting anything into your body. You're not using any artificial hormones. You're just watching your body signs. Hmm. So you said you're a Creighton model a practitioner. practitioner intern. <laughs> yes. And so, and you were talking about different uh, methods. Can you kind of go into a little bit more detail about what those different methods are and I guess just the differences between each of them? Of course. There are... The calendar rhythm methods, which is just based on the days, just counting. And like I said earlier, those have an 88% actual use effectiveness rate. And those you can see in your apps most of the time. So if you have an app and you say, I'm on my period this day, I'm off my period this day, and it gives little flowers or <laughs> eggs or whatever your app does to say, okay, you're fertile during this window. Um, that's using calendar or rhythm. So okay. it's just using your cycles to determine when you are probably fertile. Then there's popular symptothermal methods, uh, are couple to couple link, where you have a couple 
who meet with you and your spouse and go over the method with you. That's usually in group instruction. FEMM, F-E-M-M, and Marquette are also popular symptothermal methods. So they use basal body temperature and those other symptoms such as mucus and or cervical changes and or different signs like breast tenderness or bleeding because some people have um, ovulation bleeding, things like that. And then there's two popular mucus-only methods, the Billings method, which was the original um, mucus-only method in the 1950s, and then Creighton is a spinoff of Billings in the 1970s. The main difference between Creighton and Billings is Creighton has standardized ways of teaching the system uh, for the educators like me, and it the way we record the mucus is a little more standardized and specific so that the Creighton model doctors can tell more what's going on. Interesting. So why did you choose Creighton out of all these different, I guess, <laughs> methods? Why, mm -hmm. how, what made you choose that? Well, first of all, I'm a very do-it-yourself type of person and I hate spending money on things if I can just learn how to do it and do it myself. So I was going to do symptothermal, read a book about it, figure it out, and um, do it that way. But then I had a friend who was explaining how she started with symptothermal and she was wanting to achieve pregnancy. So she switched to Creighton because it is the best for helping achieve pregnancy as well as avoid. The other methods, you can um, definitely use it to help achieve pregnancy, but with the protocols in place and the NAPRO technology available with Creighton, there's um, big advantages to using it to achieve pregnancy. And what is and NAPRO? NAPRO is Natural Procreative Technologies. Oh, interesting. And okay. so that's a whole other section <laughs> of the Creighton model. Um, in short, it's where the doctors, or they can be nurse practitioners, certified nurse midwives, use the Creighton model chart to identify health problems and treat them naturally, mm -hmm with the way your body's supposed to function. Okay, so it's kind of like a little subdivision of something that the Creighton model does as well. Exactly. Okay. And so she switched to Creighton and she said afterwards, it was so much more specific. She felt like with symptothermal, sometimes she was guessing based on trying to combine the different symptoms, mm -hmm. but using a mucus only system, it was very clear cut what day she was fertile and what day she was infertile. And personally, there's no research backing this up. I believe that that's why the Creighton models is statistically better than the symptothermal methods because the sperm can't survive without the mucus. So the mucus is the number one indicator, making it very simple and concrete. And a lot of times, Dr. Hilgers in our training said that he found that women who try to like combine the Creighton model with another model or keep doing their symptoms because they were doing symptothermal before as well as Creighton, he said sometimes they will misread their symptom or misread their mucus based on their symptoms. Mm. So, oh, my 
um, basal body temperature rose, so ovulation must have passed. So this, of course, can't be fertile mucus. Right. And then it's fertile mucus and they get pregnant. Something gotcha. like that. Yeah. So you talked a little bit about um, your experience. So that's kind of why you chose um, the Creighton model. Mm-hmm. So what... Um, how should listeners and viewers in this case, how do you navigate this, like the different methods and choosing? Is there, I guess, a place or a resource where um, it's kind of laid out or is it just kind of personal preference? I mean, you talked about just kind of more of statistics kind of backing it up, right? Mm-hmm. So um, how do you go about navigating those different options? There are some main things that you should look at. The number one being, how are you educated in this system? When I entered into the practitioner education program, I was amazed at how much there is to learn because of different women's bodies types. So it sounds very simple. You have mucus or you don't, you're fertile or you're not, but there's all types of circumstances such as people with continuous mucus. How can you tell which mucus is fertile and which mucus isn't fertile? Um, Or with those basal body temperatures, there's different methods of reading the basal body temperature to determine if ovulation has passed or not. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) So um, how easy is the system to use? Is it super complicated? Is it super easy? How do you learn the system? Are you in a group? Or are you one-on-one with an instructor who will lead you based on your individual circumstances? How versatile is the system? So can you use it postpartum? Can you use it while breastfeeding, premenopause, or post-pill? These circumstances can be more or less difficult depending on what system you're using. Um, And has it been based on scientific evidence? is another great question to ask. And these, their scientific research should be published. So you can find the publication and um, evaluate yourself if it makes sense. Another question is how often is that indicator present? So um, does everybody have this indicator or do most people or it sometimes happens, sometimes doesn't, especially when you're combining symptoms. Yeah. And does this tell fertility and infertility, or is it just, okay, after, say, after my basal body temperature has passed, I'm no longer fertile, but what about the time before your basal body temperature rises? Oh, true. Which is why usually basal body temperature is combined with either a calendar method or a symptom method. Okay. And finally, um, is there a third-party recognition based on that educational approach? So is there certification for the instructors, accreditation for the programs? Is there hospital recognition or third-party reimbursement are very important factors to look at. Yeah, I wouldn't have even thought about those options. You asked me previous to our interview what has been my experience with Creighton, and I'd really like to share that because that's why I decided to become an intern. Like I said, I was a teacher, a chemistry biology teacher, and I really enjoyed it, Um, but we used Creighton for two years to avoid so I could teach and get experience teaching, 
And then my practitioner recognized some abnormal bleeding on my chart and referred me to my doctor. And he was able to determine that my progesterone was low. Mm. And then I became pregnant before we got the blood work in. So I called him and I said, my pregnancy test is positive. And he says, okay, I want you taking progesterone today. I called wow. him the prescription. And then when the blood work comes back, we can adjust your dosages. So I started taking low dose um, progesterone. Then when the blood work came back, we were able to up the dose as needed. But that potentially saved my daughter's life. And I've heard so many stories of women who have similar things. Um, in my education program, they shared a story of a single woman who was using the Creighton model to chart her fertility as well as identify health issues. And she, they found an area of concern which would have been a cause of infertility had she been trying to achieve pregnancy. So before she was even married, she was able to treat the cause of her infertility. So when she got married, she said to her spouse, I love you so much that I treated my infertility before we were married so I could have babies with you before I even met you. Wow, that's crazy because usually, I mean, you don't find out that you're infertile until you're actually trying to have babies. Right. It's For normal doctors, it's a year or more of trying. And for the when you're using fertility-focused intercourse, so you know when you're fertile and trying in six months. So I guess um, what advice would you give moms as they decide if natural family planning is right for them and their families? Definitely talk to your spouse. Um, it's a personal decision that requires a lot of communication and commitment with both of the spouses. And don't give up if you try it and it's hard at first. There is definitely a learning curve, which is why we meet frequently with our couples. We meet every two weeks for the first two months just to help them through. Um, so, But once you get it, usually around the three-month mark, it becomes natural and a lot easier and just enjoyable. Makes sense. Everything, I forget what the like certain amount of days or whatever that takes, like form a habit, you know, it just right. takes time. Like going to the gym doesn't come easily, you know, but after you have a routine, the habit of doing it, then <laughs> it becomes a little bit easier. <laughs> it's exactly what it is. Yeah. So where um, can listeners, if they're interested in learning more um, or even setting up an appointment with you, how can they contact you? They can contact me easiest by texting or calling me at 260 Six one zero three seven seven seven, but I have Facebook and Stephanie Hamilton CRMS. That stands for Creighton Model Services, and um, my website is stephaniehamiltoncrms.com. Awesome! So all of your resources are there on your website as well. Would mm -hmm. you would they be able to find that phone number as well on there? Of course. And one thing, if you have listeners who aren't in the Columbia City, Huntington area, because that's where I serve, find a practitioner near you. So there's a website called fertilitycare.org where you can find a practitioner, find one in your area. It's best if you can meet face-to-face -face with your practitioner, mm. um, but we do offer Skype. I offer Skype if you don't have a practitioner in your area. Wow, that's really interesting. That's awesome. 
So um, thank you so much, Stephanie, for joining us. <laughs> and thank you so much for joining my Facebook Live. I have loved it. And thank you, viewers, for watching. Um, so, and thank you, listeners, as well. I don't want to forget about you. <laughs> um, thank you for listening to this week's Natural Choice podcast. Be sure to check out thenaturalchoice.life, which is my new updated email, or website address. And follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest at the Natural Choice Podcast. Have an amazing week and be sure to listen next week for more information on natural alternatives so you can make the best decisions for you and your family.